I got my mic on. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. Everybody having a good night? Listen, we're going to have our own Super Bowl here tonight, right? We're going to be talking about the Lord. This is a, this is a whole lot better than that. Besides that, the Broncos aren't playing anyways. <laughs> I'm sorry. How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, you guys having a good evening? Do you guys have a good day? Enjoy it? Um, if you have your, uh, if you just take a moment, would you please stand as we go to learn prayer tonight, please? Uh, Father God, we have entered into your house tonight, not only to learn your word, but to give you praise. And Lord, I, I'm reminded of when David danced before you. He danced and he sang when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. Father, I pray that we would be that excited about you as they are tonight at that game. Let us be excited about the presence of Almighty God. To be focused on you, to put our hearts on you. We give you praise tonight. We give you glory tonight. Because your name is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Amen.
Oh. 
Let's just stay in God's presence for a minute. The Bible says to be still and know that he's God. Continue to play. That's fine. Thank you, Jesus.
words that you speak to us and prophetic words for the edification of the church and for those that needed to hear that tonight. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Lord, I can just imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. But Lord, we don't want to wait till we get to heaven to give you praise and to give you honor. We glorify you. You are worthy. You are holy. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are Lord. Jesus, we thank you for that tonight. And we give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus. And all of his people said, Amen. Ah, you may be seated. Oh, is it God good? Oh, I love to worship the Lord. And you know what? The Lord told me tonight that we were going to have a word tonight. Before I got to the service, I kept sensing God was going to have a uh, tongues and interpretation tonight. And when we were worshiping, I said, Lord, I just know you're going to do it tonight. So, And somebody needed to hear that. God knows what he's doing. Well, how's everybody doing tonight again? All right, if you have your Bibles, would you open? We're in the last part of the book of James tonight, but before we, I'm going to read this tonight, but I want to read a couple scriptures because we're going to discuss a certain subject tonight. And uh, did I get it up here? Okay, I'll look at it, this one. It's, so we're, we're in, a, I, it shouldn't say part two, I don't know why it says part two, but we're in a, uh, praying in the faith. And we're in James chapter five, and I don't know why it doesn't say that, but it should be thir verses 13 through 20. And so we're going to recap on some of the stuff we've already talked about in faith, but we're going to end ver with verses 19 and 20. So that should have said 2-0 at the end of it. So we're going to read the scripture, we're going to pray, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to read a couple other scriptures before we get to this. So James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. It says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Uh, Father, we come to you tonight as we study your word. Lord, uh, reading the word and studying it is a form of worship. Uh, Lord, worship doesn't end just with singing songs. It, it, it continues on through the preaching and hearing of the word. Uh, Father, as we study this tonight, I pray that you will remind people of their faith, that you will remind us of our walk with you. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to focus on you. Again, Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. Speak through me with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Holy Spirit, I believe you're here. I, I, I know that you're here. Because your word says, if two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in their midst. So, Father, speak to each one of us tonight. I get out of the way so that you can speak tonight in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 
before we get into these scriptures, uh, we're, we're kind of going to do a little tiny recap because last time we talked about praying in faith, right? If you're in trouble, you should do what? Pray. Uh, how many of you guys pray on a regular basis? Uh, and, and prayer, we set aside a time for prayer, but then there's a time you just pray all day. How many times have you prayed all day? And sometimes you go, oh, wait, I haven't prayed today. I need to spend some time with the Lord. So prayer should be a, a normal part of a believer's life. That is our connection with God. That's fellowship. But before we get into the next part of this, we're going to be looking at the last two verses of the Scripture. We're going to do a little recap, and then we're going to look at the last two verses of this uh, chapter. Um, I'm going to do a little recap, and then we're going to read a couple of other Scriptures that are not in here. And there's a reason why I want to do that. So, when should we pray? We looked at this last time. Well, we should pray when? On all occasions, when we're in trouble. Prayer should be, again, a part of our life. We also looked at how we should pray, right? We should go to the church. If we need prayer for, for healing, to the elders of the church, which is presbyters, that's where we get the word presbyter, or, or bishop. Um, that doesn't mean that those individuals are any better than any of us. But it does call for a certain thing that there's something about it that God honors when you take oil and you anoint them in the oil, uh, anoint them with oil and offer prayer to them, um, and then and then we should pray in faith. Remember this from a few weeks ago. We should pray in faith. If a person's sick, God can make them well. Notice it says well. That doesn't mean it happens immediately. Do you guys know the difference between miracles and healing? Miracles are in, instantaneous. Healing is a process, and we don't know how long that process is. God can speed up the healing process, and sometimes it can take a while. I don't know. I, I know some people it's taken a while for them to heal. Why does God do that? I don't know. I'm not God. How many of you guys have wondered that? God, why is it taking so long? How about that loved one that's taken so long to come to Christ? Only God knows. But what we should do is continue to pray. We should not quit in our prayers. Especially for our loved ones that we want to see come into the kingdom. Keep praying. Keep seeking God for it. So notice it says in the prayer, verse 15, offered in faith. Instrumental to our prayer should be faith, right? When Jesus uh, walked with the disciples, how many times did it says, your faith has made you what? Well or whole. Depending on what translation. Right? I use the old NIV. Some people use the new King James, some King James. But it, the, the, the idea is the same. It has something to do with our faith. You're, you and I are saved because of our faith. Right? We're healed because of our faith. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit because of what? Faith. It all comes back to faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For we must believe that he uh, exists and that he's a rewarder of those that earnestly seek him. It has something to do with faith. And if you say, I have no faith, yes you do. God's given all of us a measure of faith. So then he says in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the things we need to do a better job of in the church, now when you do confess, confess to somebody that you trust. Right? Find somebody that you know doesn't have loose lips. And, and find somebody you can trust that is 
loves the Lord and is strong in the Lord and confess those sins or those struggles, there's something about openness. When you get it out in the open, the enemy can't hold it over your head anymore. You got a struggle? Hey, I need prayer. Would you pray with me in this area? And guess what happens when we do that? You are healed. And then this one we talked about. Remember, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you're right with God tonight, if you've given your life to Jesus, your prayers are powerful and effective. That word power is the same word, dunamis, dynamite. But pastor, I've been praying and nothing's happened. That doesn't mean your prayers aren't powerful. What it means is that God's doing something about it. Does that make sense? Okay, I'll do that. Go with me to Daniel chapter 10 real quick. I'm going to look here for a minute. Go with me to Daniel chapter, let's look at verse 10. I'm doing this for a reason. This is not in our notes tonight, but you need to realize how powerful your prayers are. And, and not just powerful, but sometimes they're hindered by the enemy. Daniel chapter 10, look with me in verse 10. This angel appears to Daniel. He sees a great vision. Verse 10, a, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Verse 11, he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. For I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Let me stop there. The minute you humble yourself before God, the minute you go to God in prayer, he hears your words. He hears you. It's not going on deaf ears. And then he says this, I have come in response to them. Verse 13, but the prince of, Pers of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision, vision concerns a time yet to come. So how many days was there a spiritual battle going on? 21 days. Daniel prays. But it doesn't come immediately. Why? Because there's spiritual battles going on. You may have prayed and go, God, why haven't you answered me? I put my hamburger in the microwave and it came out, but it's not coming out like it's supposed to. Maybe because there's a spiritual battle going on. And I bring that up because your prayers are powerful. In fact, the minute you pray, God hears them. But there might be some things going on before God can answer those prayers. Does all make sense tonight? There's spiritual battles that we, we wrestle against. And so sometimes I, I think we get this idea that if I pray this, it's going to happen immediately. Sometimes it doesn't even happen the way that we want it to. But God, I wanted it this way. And God goes, no, I have a better way. Right? So, let's go back to James. Again, I spoke about this a few weeks ago. Elijah was a man just like us. I mean, this God used him in mighty ways. 
Think about the widow with the oil that was getting ready to die and God produced more oil and, and grain for her or, or food for her. Think about the, the boy where Elijah laid on three times and came back to life. This is the same Elijah that, that uh, God used and, and, and came down in a whirlwind and swept him up and took him to heaven. And yet he says that he was a man just like you and I. And he's using this as an example that his prayers were powerful and effective. And so your prayers and my prayers are powerful and effective. There are times when I pray and I go, man, that was dry. Come on, I, am I the only one? That, there are times when I don't sense anything, I don't feel anything, and I got to wonder, is this even getting to heaven? But it is. It's not based on feeling. Because my feelings go like this. I didn't get a nap this afternoon. So my feeling of wanting to come tonight was, oh, i got to get up. I'm just being honest, right? It's not based on feeling. God bases everything off of faith and his word. So Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. But how many of you have read the story of when he prayed for it to rain again? He had a servant go out. He went up on the mountain and he began to pray. And he prayed the first time. He sent a servant out. Do you see, a, do you see any cloud? Nope, don't see nothing. Came back first time. Sent his servant to go again. Nothing. Seven times. Usually we'll quit after the first or second time because it doesn't happen the way that we want it to. He was earnestly praying, and he prayed, and he didn't quit. Earnestly means he stayed with it. He was consistent. He was persistent with it. And then God answered. All he had to do was see a little cloud the size of his fist in the sky, and he goes, oh, I hear the sounds of rain coming. I think I've shared this with you, but you know he's the fastest man to ever live on this earth? Elijah is? Everybody's looking at me strange. You know, it says he girded up his loins, and, he, and Ahab was already on his his uh, uh, buggy and cart and his horses, and he ran ahead of him. I don't know how, was that about, anybody, about 30, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour with, you know, horses and a buggy or a chariot? Oh, man, he puts Bolt to shame. He's faster than, Carl Lewis was the fast guy when I was a kid. Remember Carl Lewis? Remember watching him in the 84 Olympics? I love track. He's faster than him. Again, because of the Lord. So, again, how should we pray? With faith. We should pray knowing that God hears us. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation, there is a golden bowl in heaven with the incense of the prayers of the saints. And when you do a study on that, it literally means past, present, and future. God knows the needs of your heart before you even what? Pray. So you're probably thinking, wow, I haven't even prayed yet. God already has answered a prayer. Here he knows what I'm praying about. So again, we should pray in faith. So before we get on to the next one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click to the next deal. What pleases God, which is what? Our faith. I've shared the scripture earlier. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, you're not going to please God. Because God is moved by your 
faith. God's moved by your faith. Another word for faith is the word trust. You know, my kids don't worry about what they're going to eat. They don't come to me and go, oh, are we going to have any food tomorrow? Now, there are some kids that live like that, and that breaks my heart. But my kids don't come to me going, oh, Dad, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Dad, Dad are we going to have any food? They're not worried about that. Now, Stacy and I might be a little worried about that, right? When you got three daughters, I did not realize girls eat just as bad as much as boys do. I went in, this was just the other day. We bought, how many of you guys like that Chex Mix? We had bought one of those extra big bags. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get some of that. I went and grabbed the bag two days later, and it's like three quarters gone. Of course, now with packages, they put about half of it with air. But it was almost gone, and I went, where do they put it? Because anyone who comes to him, to God, first of all, you must believe that he exists, that he's real. You've got to believe that God is the real God that he says he is. And then, look at this part. And he rewards, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He's a generous God. So how do we build our faith? You guys know this scripture. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. You've heard this. Sometimes we need to rehear it. You want to build your faith? Listen to the word. Listen to the word. Read the word. Listen to the word. Read the word. When we pray in faith, we are made well, raised up, and forgiven. When should we pray for others in faith? Expecting that God will heal them, then leave the matter in God's hands. Clearly, God does not grant immediate healing for every prayer of faith. And the reason are hidden, the, the reasons are hidden in the heart and mind of God. Still many are not healed simply because there is no prayer of faith offered. The best approach in praying for the sick is to pray with humble confidence that they will be healed unless God clearly and powerfully makes it clear that this is not his will. Having prayed, we simply leave the matter to God. There are times God won't heal somebody and it could be something going on in their life. It's true. God could be working something in their life. Remember Paul, what did he have? A thorn in his what? Flesh. And he prayed three times, God, take this from me. And God said, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to take it. Uh, he said, there's messages from Satan to buffet him. We don't know what that is. I mean, I love it when people are saying, oh, I know exactly what it is. It really doesn't, I think God left it open for that reason. Because my power is made strong in your what? Weakness. What happens when you're weak? God, I need your help. Right? God, I can't do this on my own. And God says, all right, I got your attention. God allows weaknesses sometimes in our life because he knows that we will seek him. It's a dependency. If God answered every one of our prayers, we wouldn't be dependent on him. We would get to the point where like, oh, okay, hey, hey, here's my gumball machine. I want the red one. You know, the little thing that goes down. That's not the way God works. So how effective is our prayer? I already mentioned it. It's powerful when we are right standing with God, when we're doing the right thing. The word powerful, again, comes from the Greek word, uh, and I'm not going to say it. 
It means to be strong, to have power, to exert willpower, to have strength, to overcome. Did you see that? Strength to do what? To overcome. Sometimes God doesn't pluck you out of a situation. Sometimes God doesn't always answer it the way you want. Sometimes he gives you the strength to do what? Overcome or to go through. He'll give you a way to stand up under it, right? That word stand up under means a way through it. But pastor, this is very difficult. I know, I've been there, right? And every situation is different. James 5, 16, confess your sin or confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I like how that translation uses fervent. The, the New King James, and I mentioned that, is fervent. Much of our prayer is not effective simply because it is not fervent. It is offered with a lukewarm attitude that virtually asks God to care about something that we care little about. Effective prayer must be fervent, not because we must emotionally persuade a reluctant God, but because we must gain God's heart by being fervent for the things he is fervent for. Do you think God is fervent for the lost? We should be praying for the lost. Think God cares about hurting people? Yeah, we should be praying for hurting people. It's effective for those whose righteousness is found in Christ and who consistently live for him. It's powerful and effective like Elijah's prayer was when we do those things. Now we get to the last part. Now before we get to this last part about wandering from the truth. James, remember, James is a pastor. He's covering a lot of things in here. These people are under persecution and some of them were at, at a point where they wanted to wander from the truth. They wanted to defect from the faith because of persecution. But before we get to that, I want to build your faith. Because sometimes when we, we read this scripture, we go, uh-oh, have I walked away? You know, we've heard that in assemblies a lot, right? We, we believe that you can walk away from the Lord. But how many people do you know that they constantly keep coming forward to get saved and saved and saved and saved? That's not faith. You see what I'm talking about? It's awfully quiet in here tonight. I, of course, that's me. I like to hear people talk. It's just who I am. Go with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In your Bibles, this is not in the notes. There's a reason why I'm going to go through this real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I like this uh, book to the church of Ephesus that the Apostle Paul writes. And he, he, he's, the Apostle Paul, when he deals with this in the Ephesians, he's, he starts off by telling them who they are in Christ. So before we get into talking about wandering from the truth, we have to realize who are we in Christ? Where do we stand with Christ? So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So first of all, before we get into this where somebody wanders from the truth, let's, let's clarify something here. When you get saved, God puts his what inside of us? His Holy Spirit. That's why we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he marks us with a seal of ownership. 
So we need to realize how secure we are in the Lord. Right? I'm not saying you can't walk away from God, but what I am saying is we need to realize how secure we really are. It has to be a conscious decision to kick God out of your life. Do you understand that? Because I think in the past this has been abused. If you sneeze the wrong way, oh, you better get saved again. Oh, no, you played with cards. Back in the day, I heard that if you played with cards, it was wrong. And you were backslidden. Oh, come on. I play cards all the time. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? You can get so legalistic with this that people can get an identity crisis. And I've seen it. I've been in some services where I, I remember one time, the first church I ever candidated at was in Whitesboro. And we went out there. Of course, it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't where we were supposed to be. And people would say, I'm just glad I'm still saved and still in, the, in heaven. And they stood up and I went like this and I, they kept saying this. I preached my message and I left there and I said, Stay, Stace, maybe I should have given an altar call because all of them thought that they weren't really saved. If you've given your life to Jesus and you meant it with your heart, that's what God looks at. Salvation isn't based off of performance. Can we wander? Yes, and we'll get into that. But you have to consciously kick God out of your life. I think we make it so difficult for people sometimes. We put performance on them. Listen, how many of you were good enough to get saved? Yeah, I don't see any hands in here. So even after we get saved, how many of you are still good enough to stay saved? You, you, it, no hands because we're not it has to be a work of God God's the one that works it in us and we make it into a performance Christianity and we're not saved by works we're saved by grace through faith not by works lest anyone should what boast I think we need to clarify that a little bit so go with me to, uh, uh, to Philippians chapter 1 Philippians chapter 1. Look what it says here in verse 6. Paul speaking to the Philippian church, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So who did the work? Us or Jesus? Jesus did. Who's going to carry it on and complete the work? Jesus is. Until when? The day of Christ Jesus. He's going to come alongside of us. He's not going to let you. It's hard for us to understand it sometimes. God's with us in this, in this thing called faith. We give our life to him. He's right along with us. I mean, think about this. How many of you guys remember walking when your kids begin to take their first steps in their walk? You know, if my daughter tripped and fell, I didn't just go, oh, well, tough luck, right? No, you get down and you do what? You kind of pick them up and you help them and you walk them. When they were learning how to ride a bike. Now, my youngest daughter, it took her a while because she's just naturally a little timid with things. But I would ride with them. Of course, I tried in the grass first. That way if they fell, 
they'd land in the grass. A couple falls after a while, they got it. But I would come up behind them. If I saw them falling, I'd run up to them and try to catch them. Listen, that's the, if, if we do that with our kids, how much more our Heavenly Father? He's the one that began the work. He's the one that carries it on. And he does it until Christ Jesus. And notice it talks about he who began the good work. It's really talking about the Father here. No one comes to the Son unless the Father does what? Draws him. Go with me to First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, look with me in verse 3. Again, these are not in our notes. I wanted to set a tone here. First Peter chapter 1, look in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Mercy means we get what we don't deserve. We deserve hell, but he doesn't give that to us. Great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. The birth that you have received in Christ is a living hope. Living means continual. It's not a one moment thing where, oh, I'm saved, but that's it. No, it's living. It's flowing waters. In, in Washington State, where we moved from, there's a lot of natural springs. And we had one behind our church, and that thing flowed all the time. In fact, we had to put a, a conduit and pipe in there and put a, a catch basin for the catch that spring water that flowed. It never stopped. Always fresh water. And I'm not talking a little stream. I'm talking a big stream of water. That is our relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I give you eternal life. Or, or, I give you life. Or, let me say it the right way. I give you eternal life bubbling up to eternal I got it. You get what I mean, right? Okay. I give you everlasting life bubbling up to eternal I probably don't get that right. But anyways, remember at the well with the woman at the well. See, sometimes I remember scripture, other times I get it mixed up. But he says this, in his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Hope, again, is a joyful expectation that what God says he's going to do, it's a living expectation. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead <clears throat> and into an inheritance that can never perish, the rewards I have in heaven, they're never going to perish or spoil. Or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The word kept means God is keeping it. He's putting a protection around it. In fact, when he says, when he says that he guards you or shields you by his power, it is a military term that literally means that he, it, it, it's the idea of him putting a military garrison with you from the beginning until the end, from one destination to the other destination. That's pretty strong, don't you think? That God says, I'm going to shield you with my power. From the time that you get saved till the time that you go to heaven, I'm shielding you with my power. Now, is that pretty strong? Now let's go to James. Does this help you guys? Some of you guys are like, yeah, I know this pastor. Well, good, that's great. But some people still struggle with this. Now, I want to talk about the wandering from the truth part. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. 
My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Okay? We're going to look at wandering from the truth. I wanted to set the stage to realize how secure we are. It has to be a conscious decision to walk away from God. You get that? You have to make a conscious decision that says, I don't want God in my life anymore. I'm kicking him out. That's different from somebody saying, I still love Jesus. I've made some mistakes, but Lord, I still love you. And you're making a conscious decision through faith to stay with him. You're shielded by God's power through faith. That word through means a continual faith. You get it now? Okay. To wander here carries the idea of what we call the word backsliding. The Greek word for wander means to cause to stray, to lead astray, lead aside from the right way. I probably, if I asked you to raise your hand, how many people you know that once served God have done this, I'm sure I'd see a, quite a few hands risen to that, right? We've all known somebody that one time was serving the Lord, but again, it's a conscious decision. God never takes away something from us. There, there's something that we all have that we have a privilege to have from God. It's called free will. And it's not like the movie Free Will, Free Willy, right? It's free will. God never takes away your decision. Do you understand that? It has to be a conscious decision. Can somebody backslide to the point of where they leave the faith? That's the question we have to ask. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless and fall from your secure position. If you read in 2 Peter, he's talking about false teachers that have come into the church. They were bought with a price. He said they left the corruption of the world, but then they were entangled in sin again. And they had left the straight way. It sounds like a contradiction tonight, but it's not. Are you guys understanding this tonight? I, I want to make that clear. You are secure in the Lord. But again, it takes a conscious decision to walk away. Does that make sense? People don't like to hear this stuff. It's not feel-good stuff, is it? I'm so glad that I'm not the type of preacher that always preaches feel-good messages. When James speaks of those who have wandered for the truth, he's speaking of true believers. The word brothers or brethren here comes from the Greek word adelphos, which means a fellow believer, united to another by the bond of affection. Brethren in Christ. This is the Strong's definition. So how does one wander from the truth? In fact, before we go there, the Bible talks about some. This is not in our notes, but go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, the Spirit. Now, the Spirit's capitalized there. It literally means the Holy Spirit. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, later times he's speaking about the last days. 
some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Again, that's a conscious decision. I'm going to abandon what? The faith. I'm going to leave what I once believed. I'm going to depart from it. I'm going to defect from it. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians. I've used this before. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 3. I've shared this with you before, but this is talking about, uh, you know, again, uh, here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, they thought that Jesus had come back and they were left behind. And Paul had to reassure him that there has to be something that happens before the Antichrist comes on the scene. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day, what day? The day of the tribulation, the day of the Lord's wrath, will not come until the rebellion. Now, the word rebellion there, it, some translation says the falling away is the word apostasy or apostasia in the Greek. And it literally means to defect from the faith, to depart from the faith. So he says, for that day will not come until a falling away or affection or defection or a leaving the faith occurs, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The man doomed to destruction. Are we seeing that today? Remember I did a whole sermon on that, on apostasy within, within our nation and within the world today. Yes, people are leaving the faith. I'm professors in Moody Bible Institute and, 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 and Christian singers, I mean, some of which I used to go, all right, these are great Christian singers, and they're leaving the faith. And some people, now it depends on what denomination you're in. Some denominations will say, well, they were never, they were never believers to begin with that they leave the faith because they use a scripture in 1 John that says, well, they left us because they were not a, a part of us. There's a scripture in 1 John that talks about that. But who are we to say that they weren't really saved? That's not our place. That's God's place, Right? I think of Charles Templeton. I've shared this with you. How many of you guys know who Charles Templeton is? He was the contemporary of Billy Graham's. He led thousands to the Lord. He actually led more people to Jesus than Billy Graham did in the beginning. And they were friends. They used to be on a radio station together. And then all of a sudden he started seeing images from World War II. And, and he goes, how can a God, a loving God, cause all this stuff to happen? And he started, he started going to Princeton and learning about evolution. He finally wrote a book called Farewell to Christianity. He left the faith. Again, that's a conscious decision. He departed from it. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Or I mean Hebrews, yeah, let me see. Hebrews chapter, chapter 6, I'm sorry. You have so many scriptures in your mind, you start forgetting them. Hebrews chapter 6. Oh. They lose the faith. That's right. Did you hear what Brother Black says? 
The, the Apostle Paul says, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. Now what is in store for me is a crown of what? Righteousness. You can go back through church history in the book of Revelation, and if you do a sto study on that, you, you look at the men that kept the faith and some that denounced the faith because they were to offer incense to the gods of the Roman gods. If they didn't, they were going to be put to death. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11, look at this. Verse 4. Now I'll explain this in a minute. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Let me stop there for a minute. The word enlightened is used twice in the New Testament. And both times it refers to somebody that has had a born-again experience. So he says here, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift? Salvation. Did Jesus, now some will say, well, he, they just tasted it. They didn't really experience it. But the scripture also says Jesus tasted death. Did Jesus just taste of it or did he experience death? He experienced it. So, who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. You can't share of the Holy Spirit unless you're born again. Who have tasted of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance because they're lost, to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Now the word there when it says they can't be brought to back to repentance, it doesn't mean that they can't be, it's that they choose not to be. Because they've hardened their heart. So the whole point of this, we are assemblies of God. We believe that you are saved, but you can walk away from God. And I've seen it. Again, I wanted to share the other scriptures to show you are secure in the Lord. But if you consciously kick God out of your life, you're in trouble. In fact, the word backsliding is found in the word in the book of Jeremiah. I think it's in chapter 3. Do you know what the, the, the reference to that is? In the Hebrew, the reference is to that Greek word apostasia. And it's referring to the Israelites when they backslid away from God. They apostatized from him. They went away from him. They didn't serve him. We're living in a country today where people are being de-churched. We, we, Stacy and I just moved from a, 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 the Pacific Northwest that is known as, uh, uh, the, the Pacific Northwest is known as the de-churched area. People that who once served the Lord, who once were in church, now don't go to church, don't serve the Lord, and now they're in the things of the world. And it's happening in America. So there is, a, is it the possible, again, we don't need to live in fear that, that we're going to do, like, I've always told somebody this, I, I had somebody say this to me one time, pastor, have I done that? No, because if, you were wor if you're worried about it, then you haven't done it. You get that? The people that aren't worried about it and they're living in sin and aren't, don't care, th that's between them and the Lord, but you got to wonder, right? But if you're worried, have I done that? You haven't. Because again, the very fact that you're worried about it means you. It's like the person says, have I committed the unpardonable sin? No, because if you did, you wouldn't care. All right, let's go back to James here. So how does one wander from the truth? 
They stop believing in living out the word. They stop believing what the Bible says. They stop serving God. They literally kick God out of their life. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. 1 John says this, As for you, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. That's that Greek word which means to continue in. He's speaking of the gospel truth. He's speaking of his word. See, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. That means keep believing the Bible. Keep believing in who Jesus is and what he did. If it does, notice the word if is conditional. It's conditions. If it does, you, right, you also will remain in the Son and the Father. Oh, but pastor, are you sure? That's what it says. I'm not saying, I didn't write this. Right? In the last days, people won't put up with sound doctrine, but they'll gather around them a bunch of teachers to tell what their tickling ears want to hear. Oh, tell us nothing but good things. Listen, we need a balance of good things, and we need a balance of things that correct and rebuke and train us, right? How many of us like to be rebuked? I don't. I'm just, we, we should, but how many of us really like it? How, how many of us, okay, let me ask you this one. How many of us like it when our spouse rebukes us? What's our response? How do we react to them? I'm going to share how I react. Huh? What? No, I didn't do that. I got a funny story for you the other night. I'm a snorer. And I'm sitting there, and I, I thought I was on my side, but evidently I was on my back. And when I'm on my back, I snore. And Stacy's like, hey, you're snoring. Roll over. And I went, what? You're snoring. No, I'm not. And so the next morning, she said, no, you were snoring. You were on your back. I wasn't on my back. I was on my side. She goes, sweetheart, you were on your back. You were still sleeping. I saw you. She corrected me. I didn't like it, but she corrected me. So if, you, if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now look at this. What's the promise? And this is what he promised us, what? eternal life I can share you scripture after scripture it talks about hold on to the confession of your faith in Hebrews he talks about that the whole book of Hebrews is about uh, Christian, uh, Jewish Christians Jews that had converted to Christianity they were tempted to leave and depart the faith that's what the whole book is about another thing they stop abiding in Christ so the first one, they stop living the word and believing the word. They stop abiding in Christ. Abiding means relationship, fellowship. Look at John 15, 6. If you do not remain in me. Remember, he's talking about the vine. Jesus is the vine. In Romans chapter 11 that I read a couple weeks ago, right? Remember, we are grafted into the what? Into the vine. Where does the branches get its nutrients from? From the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus is the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. If you do not remain in me, that word remain means continue, and it's speaking of relationship. You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
Now, the definition for this, when you look this up, there's two definitions in, in Thayer's definition. The first definition in those times over, over in, from what I understand, over in Israel, and I've never been there, so you can correct me, it might be different now than what it was a while back. But Chuck Smith, in his commentary, talks about this, that when he was over there back in the 70s, they would have these, the grapevines would be rested on rocks. And what they would do is if a branch wasn't getting good nutrients, they would lift that branch up. That's the first definition, to get nutrients to it. But the second definition is once it withers and dies, what do you do even when you're planting, a, when you have a, you know, a rose bush or, or, or a, a tomato plant? What do you do with that branch that's withered and died? You cut it off. It's not good for anything. I've heard some commentaries say, oh, this is just speaking of fruit. No, it's speaking of relationship. The fruit is the byproduct of the relationship. If we don't remain in the vine, we don't produce fruit. We don't produce fruit and we don't have a relationship with the Lord. It withers and dies. I know that with family members. I used to have really good close relationship with a lot of my family members as a kid, but it's been years since I've seen some of them. And you get around them and you feel awkward. Am I not the only one? That might be just me. Other people may not. But with my family, I'm just speaking for me personally, you feel a little awkward because you haven't been in relationship with them for a long time. There have been times when I haven't prayed for a while and it's a little awkward at praying at first. And I know i got to fight through that. And that's my own fault. So what happens when a believer brings a fellow brother back to the Lord? Look at verse 20. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of, this, of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That brother brings them back into a relationship with Jesus. Hallelujah. You bring a brother or sister back into a relationship with Jesus, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, the word bring back comes from the Greek word for con convert. It means to cause the return, to bring back, to be converted, return, turn about. To be converted back to Jesus. How many loved ones or friends do you know that need to be converted back to Jesus? That brother saves his fellow brother and sister from spiritual death. The word death there, look, comes from the Greek word thanatos, which means separation, whether natural or violent, of the soul and the body by which the life on earth is in it with the implied idea of future misery in hell. Wouldn't you say those are pretty strong words that James uses there? That's the Greek word there. So basically he says, whoever converts a sinner from his way, a fellow brother who has turned away, wandered from the truth, when he converts him, he will save, his, save him from spiritual death. I heard a preacher this afternoon, I really like listening, but he goes, once, you're, once you've been born again, you can't be unborn. Well, we just read some scriptures. Yes, you are born again, but you could cut off that lifeline. The miserable state of the wicked dead in hell, the widest sense, death comprising all the miseries arising from sin, as well as physical death as the loss of a life con consecrated to God and blessed in him on earth to be followed by a wretchedness in hell. That's that same definition. Soul means the soul is an essence which differs from the body and is not dissolved by death. Distinguished from all the other parts. That's your spirit. That brother covers over a multitude of sins when he does that. 
What does this mean? This speaks powerfully of the restoration that is possible for those who have sinned. I know of men of good standing in the gospel ministry who 10 years ago fell into sin, and that is thrown in our teeth to this very day. Do you speak of them? You were at once informed why 10 years ago they did so and so. Brethren, Christian men ought to be ashamed of themselves for taking notice of such things so long afterwards. True, we may use more caution in our dealings, but to reproach a fallen brother for what he has done so long ago is contrary to the spirit of John who went after Peter three days after he had denied his master with oaths and curses. What Spurgeon was basically saying there is when a brother falls and they come back to the Lord, don't remind them of what they fell at. It's under the blood. So what James is saying there is restoration of forgiveness for the one who comes back to Jesus is beautiful. Think of the prodigal son. He squandered in his, his inheritance. And he was in the pig pen. Had he died in the pig pen, he would have stayed in the pig pen. But he came back to his senses and did what? He went back to the father's house. With that in closing, I wanted to share first of all and foremost... That's a tough subject for people to, to swallow sometimes. And, and, and it seems like a contradictory, but it's not. You are saved and secure in Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're serving him and you're walking in faith, you're fine. It's the people that consciously kick Jesus out of their life. And we can't be the one that says, well, maybe they were never saved to begin with. We don't know that. You look at Charles Templeton's uh, uh, salvation. It was real. It was a true conversion. So, again, two things. You're secure in the Lord, but if you know somebody that's wandered, minister to them. Love on them. Maybe they've been hurt in the church. Show them some grace. Befriend them. I guarantee you, they know the truth. Some of them have heard it their whole life. My grandfather was that way. I did not know this. I'm going to finish this. I know it's late. I'm keeping you from the Super Bowl on purpose. I'm teasing. My grandfather wandered from the faith for 40 years. My great-grandfather, I did not know this. God called me to be a pastor when I was eight. I did not know my great-grandfather was a free Methodist pastor. Didn't know it. I, I'd never met the man. I found out at the age of 16 when we lived, when we lived up in Tulsa. Found out he died and found out he was a pastor. God has a way of doing things, doesn't he? It's, it's pretty interesting. He skipped a couple generations. But my grandfather had served the Lord as a kid, but he turned from the Lord, and for 40 years, he walked away from God. 40 years. And my, and my, and my two uncles and my aunt and my dad for several years haven't served the Lord. My aunt's still not serving the Lord. My uncle, my uncle Lynn's still not serving the Lord. He's, he's against all that stuff. I remember talking to him, what are you going to do when you die, Uncle Lynn? Oh, just bury me in the garden. That's all that's going to happen to me. That, that's his thinking on life. My Uncle Terry, he passed away. In fact, when he was dying, he had Parkinson's. I put the phone up next to his ear and I said, Uncle Terry, I love you, but I want to share the gospel with you. I know you can't respond well. And I, exp I explained the gospel, and I said, do you understand this? All of a sudden, he started going, uh, uh. so you never know. We get to heaven, I might get to see my Uncle Terry. 
But my dad's given his life to the Lord. But he wandered from the faith, but God brought him back before he, he died, my grandfather. So God can bring them back, and we need to pray for them. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We glorify you. I know this is a tough message, and it's not a contradiction, Lord. I believe that we are eternally secure. We're safe in your arms. You're going to complete it. But we have to choose by free will to stay in it. We need to finish that race. We need to keep the faith. Lord, I pray for all of us here tonight that you will give us the strength to continue to do that, especially in the times that we're living. And then, Father, we pray for our lost loved ones, those that maybe serve the Lord, but they're not living for him anymore. Bring them back into the fold, Lord. Use us. Send people their way. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.